0: Good morning, church. Ooh, come on now. <laughs> Good morning, church. Good morning. Wonderful, wonderful morning. As our uh, brother, Pastor Barry, said earlier, it's been great weather, great weather, incredible weather this weekend. And so I'm reminded of a small competition that we have within the office, nothing too crazy, but um, Pastor Brian, I'm not sure if you all know about this or not. He's really into his lawn. His lawn's a big deal to him, amen? It's a big deal to him. And so we moved into our new house about two months ago and he's been sending me pictures of his yard. And he's got these stripes and stuff and, and he, he puts a lot of work into his lawn and so I'm, I'm kind of wanting mine to look good too, right? And so you know we got some new things because we didn't have a house that we owned before and so my wife got us a really nice uh, battery powered weed eater 60 volts, 12 inch head, you know, should last about four days if I wanted to use it on one charge kind of deal. And so I'm really excited about this cause I want to send my brother some pictures of my yard all done up and you know, my stripes and stuff. And so I'm getting in the garage and I'm getting this thing ready and I'm trying to tool the weed eater. Y'all with me? You know, the string stuff that has to go into the head. And so I've done this before, right? Like when I grew up, you know, we did this for money. Like I was a kid, I had to make money on the weekend, stuff like that. I go cut grass and do yards and so forth. So I kind of knew what I was doing. And so I'm trying to tool this weed eater, right? So I took off the little head. Y'all are laughing because you see where I'm going. And um, I've got this string and it's about maybe 200 yards or something like that. I'm trying to wrap it around and I put it back on, fellas. And it's just not going back out. The tool's not going back out those two little holes on the side. Are you with me? And I'm trying, I'm working at this man. You know why? Because I want that brother to see my yard. (laughs) And so I'm working after it. And I'm sitting in this garage for about 30, 45 minutes and I cannot get the little doohickey in there, JR. (laughs) And I quit. I just got so mad and frustrated. I just threw it aside and I quit. I walked away. I might've texted my wife or something, told me we need to get another weed eater. I don't know, but I was over this process. Walked away. I went and got lunch, and after I ate a little bit, I came back to the weed eater because I was determined to send this brother a good picture of my yard. And over on the side, there was this little white manual. <laughs> now, I didn't need this because, you know, you, get the, you just throw the stuff aside that you don't need, right? So I tossed it aside. I didn't need that, right? I knew what I was doing, right? Yeah, no, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I grabbed this manual, I said, you know what, whatever, I'll just look in it, right? Who knows? Maybe I'll find some coupons or whatever. And sure enough, on like the second page, how to tool your weed eater. And it was as simple as all get out. I was doing it all wrong. I shouldn't have taken the head off because the string tools from the outside, he's put in, he's twisted up. And it took me all of two and a half minutes to tool like the entire weed eater after just looking in the manual. How silly did I feel? How silly did I feel? Friends, we have a manual that God has given us to enable us to walk out this Christian life. And if you find yourself today trying to do it without the manual that God has given you, you too are going to quit you're going to get frustrated, you're going to throw your toys aside and go somewhere and throw a little tantrum and say, you know what, I give up, I can't do this. Because I'll let you know right now, there's no way that we can walk this walk, that we can live out the life that the Lord has given us to live out without reading and honoring the word of God, friends. Today we begin a brand new series on Psalm 119. The series is called The Good Word. Title for today's message is The Good Word. This whole psalm is about the good word. And as we get ready to turn into Psalms 119, I'm going to read to you the verse, the first eight verses of this psalm. You can go ahead and stand with me. Our text says, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek them with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast, And keeping your statutes, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. If there's one thing that I would like to leave you with today, is that a blessed and blameless life comes from keeping treasuring and meditating on the Lord's word. Join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us your wisdom, that you've given us your insights. Lord, we don't have to look. Help us, Lord, to be committed to your word. Help us to be a church, Father God, that seeks you in your word. Father, our first core value is that we believe that the Bible is the word of God. Help us, Father God, to teach it as such. Hide me behind this pulpit, Lord God. Let your spirit speak through me. Remove any distractions in our hearts or in our minds that may keep us from hearing your message and add a blessing to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. As I mentioned before, this psalm is all about The good word. There are 176 verses in this one Psalm. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. There are 22 different sections. Each of the sections represent one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each section has eight verses. Some of your Bibles will actually have a little symbol at the top of the heading for each of the sections in this verse. Each section begins with the same Hebrew letter. Okay, so let me explain that to you. As if we have 26 letters in our alphabet. Imagine taking the word A, or excuse me, the letter A, and then making eight verses, beginning all with A, and then going next to B, and making eight verses, beginning all with B, and doing the same all the way through T, you get to Z. Each of these 22 sections are unique in that they are actually inspired by God in their divisions, which is interesting. All 176 verses broken down into eight verses each or 22 sections mention God's name 22 different times. In each of the sections, the word law or statutes or Torah or commandments are mentioned eight different times. I know that's a lot to keep up with, But I just wanna show you how much thought and attention has gone into each of these verses to make sure that we understand the main point of this Psalm. It is the Word of God. The Psalmist is proud of God's Word. He celebrates God's Word and he proclaims God's Word. We're not completely sure what was going on in the author's life at the time when he wrote this Psalm. There's some scholars who say that he was under some type of persecution Perhaps he was in jail, who knows the situation, but all of them have the same kind of theme, that he was going through a rough time, and there was someone, some system, some organization that wanted to blot out the word of God. And so we have the psalmist here making a stand in defiance, saying that I will commit myself to God's word. I will stand on the word of God. I will read and celebrate and praise God the word of God. It's an exciting psalm to read through. And we understand the excitement by reading the first three verses even as the psalmist begins. He says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Blessed are those that do these things. Two different times he uses the word blessed, and there are six qualifiers to what is blessed, or those who are blessed. Blessed is, we think of it in terms of, um, oftentimes, we think of it in terms of some holy aroma (laughs) that we have about us. But the psalmist here isn't talking about some spiritual condition, it's a mindset, it's happiness. Happy are those, in the Psalms you'll see the word blessed used interchangeably with happy. Even in the New Testament, we'll see it over and over. Happiness and blessedness are the same. These are things that we should see on the believer as they go through life, living and walking in the way of God. The qualifiers, the six different qualifiers that we find in verses one through three are that those who are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong, and again, who walk in his ways. In summary, this is someone who takes God's word seriously and applies it to their lives, to every area of their lives. Not the public areas only, not the areas of their lives that their small group can see and hear about, but every single area of their lives, they apply God's word. Those individuals are blessed or happy. There must be application to the Christian life. My first point in this first section here is that happiness, true happiness, comes from walking in God's word. True happiness comes from walking in God's word. I wanna give you an illustration. Consider going to your doctor for your annual physical. All right, you go, you get your checkup, and they're like, hey, your blood pressure is a little high. All right, so this is what I need you to do. I need you to go and maybe do some walking, right? I need you to lay off the sweets and the sodiums. I need you to maybe relax a little bit more. I need you to try not to get all worked up. I need you to do all these different things so that we can reduce your blood pressure so that you can be in a better shape, amen? And so you take those instructions and guess what? You do not follow them, you do not. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You go on, you live life as if everything is good and no problems and so forth and you come back in six months for a checkup and your blood pressure is sky high, what did you expect? The doctor, the physician has given you instructions, he's answered the issue, he's addressed the issue, he's let you know hey, I need you to do these things here so that you can be blessed or happy. And here you are ignoring the rules, ignoring the prescription of your physician. What sense does that make, friends? Makes no sense at all. How can we, as Christians, live out the way that God has intended for us with happiness and joy in our lives if we don't crack open this book and read it and apply it to our lives? Amen? It's not just something to look good on your mantle. It's to be taken and devoured and studied. If we, just like me in that garage, try to do this without the instructions that the Lord has left before us, then we will too become frustrated. And our happiness will go far from us and we will end up in a place that the Lord never intended for us to end up. In John 13, we see Christ after washing the disciples' feet. He's taking the word which his father has given him to love those who are with him, to love his neighbor, to take care of them. And so in in order to make this point, he illustrates it by his actions. And so Christ, we see him washing the disciples' feet, and some of them, at least Peter, weren't interested in having their feet washed by Christ because they thought that he was just too special, too sacred for him. But what did the Lord do? The Son of God still acted out and lived out the word of God. So in John 13, 17, we read, if you do, excuse me, if you know these things, blessed, and some translations have the word happy as well, are you if you do them. Christ also in Matthew chapter seven, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters he sends, or he spends with these folks on this Mount, starting off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are you if you, blessed are those who, blessed, blessed, blessed. And then at the end of chapter 7, he gives his summary. He gives his summary by stating in verse 24 Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Friends, if you struggle with carrying out God's word in your life, let me, let me speak to you for a second. If you struggle loving other individuals, if you struggle forgiving others, I'm here to talk to you. If you struggle giving of your time and your resources, I would encourage you to get in the word of God. Do you struggle with happiness in your life? Do you find yourself sad, feeling unaccomplished, hopeless, depressed even? Perhaps you even have that Eeyore mentality. You guys know Eeyore, right? Nobody loves me. Just have this dark cloud everywhere you go. You seen Christians like that before? Those aren't the folks I want to hang out with. Maybe I should hang out with them to encourage them. Guys, God's word is for us to take and apply to our lives, that it may bring exhilaration, that it may bring happiness to us. Following God and walking in his ways is an exciting lifestyle. There's never a dull moment in the life of the individual who takes God's word and does it. There's never a boring day. There's never a dull moment. There's so much adventure. But there's also difficulty in following the word of God. It's not easy to keep his statutes. And the psalmist alludes us to this in verses 4 through 6 when he says, you have commanded that your precepts be kept diligently, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. My second point today is persevering in God's word prevents shame. Persevering in God's word prevents shame. Last week, Pastor Ryan finished talking or preaching through 2 Peter. The entire topic about 2 Peter was persevering in the faith. Persevering in the faith. It's not easy, folks. Peter, let us know the difficulties that will be before us. The consequences, however, to not living up to the standards by which God has laid before us, the consequences of not walking in God's way our shame. Now hear me out, I'm not suggesting that as a Christian if you fall from time to time, that if you find yourself in a pickle here and there where you failed to honor God's word, I'm not saying that you will be shamed, no. Because we know that from Romans 8, 1 that we, we are not to condemn ourselves, we are not to be condemned in our sin. We simply forgive or ask forgiveness and we acknowledge that God, to God that we've fallen short and we go right back to him. We get back on that horse and we ride on. These are meant for those who have chosen a lifestyle that is counter to the word of God. Those who claim that there is no such thing as authority in God's word and do so and demonstrate it by the way that they live. They may say one thing but the walk may not match up with what they say in their lives according to God's word is filled with shame. God's intent was never for us to live in shame, friends. His intent was always for us to walk in peace with him. In Genesis, the first two chapters of the Bible are like my favorite. At the end end of chapter two, we see the ideal intent for God and man. In verse 25 we read, Oh God, oh excuse me, in verse 25 of chapter two we read, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. They were both naked and not ashamed. And then chapter three begins, and we read in verse one that the fall comes, and everything changed. Sometimes I wish we could just stay in Genesis chapter two, verse 25. I don't want to turn the page when I'm reading through Genesis. I wanna stay right there in chapter two, verse 25, because we know that with sin came shame. With sin came depression. With sin came fear from God. In Psalms 25, verses one through three, we read, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust, let not let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall not be ashamed who are wantingly or they shall be put to shame who are wantingly treacherous. There is a distinct difference between those who follow God's word, those who keep his commandments, and those who don't, and the shame that's associated with that lifestyle. The two are not the same. Shame is disgrace. It's embarrassment, it's dishonor. Barry Bonds is arguably the best baseball player of all time. According to the stats, he retired from the Major League baseball, or from Major League Baseball with the only player to have ever reached 500 home runs and 500 bases stolen. His career batting average stands at 298 with 1,996 RBIs. Bond was ranked as the se- Bond had seven different National League MVP trophies, as well as 14 All-Star nods. He set several hitting records, which include 73 home runs in one season and a career of 763 home runs. He also holds the record for the most walks in a career and won eight gold gloves for his fine outfield play. He was arguably the best, but he will likely never be entered into the Baseball Hall of Fame because he cheated. He took performance enhancing drugs that he knew were against the league's rules to give him an advantage over the other players. And as he went out on the field with these drugs in him, he soared in his athletic ability, but he cheated. And because of that, his career now has an asterisk. His name is covered with shame. The league is covered with shame even because of him. Shame is defeating, it's deflating, it's debilitating. The psalmist says again in verse four, you have commanded that your precepts be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall be not put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. As God's children, we must diligently keep God's word. Diligently fight to keep God's word. God's word, there's pressure surmounting from the world. They do not want us to teach the Bible. They don't want us to walk out the Bible. The world tells us that man can marry whoever man wants to marry. The world tells us that a woman can marry whoever she wants to. God's word tells us that man and woman are to be married together. The world tells us that our children can choose whatever gender they want. The world tells us that it's okay to go out and get high. The world tells us that it's whatever lifestyle we wish to live. Staying up all night, cheating on our taxes, gambling, I don't know, fill in the blank, folks. We know the pressures that are out there because you feel it in your jobs, you feel it in your neighborhoods, you feel it in your families. The world is doing everything it can to quench out the thirst for God's word in our lives and stopping us from walking in the ways of God. But we too, like the psalmist, must stand up in defiance and proudly proclaim that God's word is our instruction. By it, we will live. Whether we live or die, we will hold firmly to his word, friends. We have God's word to give us hope to give us perseverance, gives us the ability to raise our children in the blessed assuredness that God has intended for them to have. God's word must be taught. It must be lived out so that we as God's people can be free of shame. Do you find yourself today, beloved, filled with shame because of some sin in your life? Maybe this is a sin that you've committed just once, maybe even years ago. Or perhaps it's a sin that you perpetually find yourself in some type of bondage to. Let me make this clear, friend. Christ can deliver you from shame. Christ came to deliver you from shame. We read again in Romans, or I mentioned earlier in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to who? To the entire world? No, friends, I'm sorry. But only to those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ has paid the price for our shame, friends. You don't need to walk around convinced that you've done such an ugly, heinous thing that you don't deserve to even walk through the doors of a church. Oh, we need you here, friends. We want you here. God wants you here. If you are a believer, we ask you to endure, to abide in God's word. Surround yourself with good friends who will help you to diligently keep God's word. Be committed to your small groups because they will keep you firm in God's word, be committed to prayer, it will keep you firmly in God's word. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 28 we read, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We may have confidence when Christ appears and not hide from him in shame. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 for a moment. At the, end of chapter 20, or at the end of chapter 2 in verse 25, we see that the world was free of shame, that there was no hiding. Sin came into the garden. And as God comes looking for Adam and Eve, what do they do? They hide. They cower from their father who comes looking for them. Oh, friends, let us... As John says here in chapter one, verse 28, when the Lord comes back for us, let us with confidence not shrink from him in shame at his coming, because friends, he is coming back. And we should look for that. We should be eager for his return. Those of us who have been freed from this shame celebrate this truth. We praise God because we know what it's like to be liberated from shame. The psalmist in verse 7 tells us the same. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Our third main point is that studying God's word brings praise. Studying God's word brings praise. The psalmist clearly says that learning your righteous rules, God, will result in praise with an upright heart. What is it about God's rules that cause us to praise him? What is it about the Bible that causes us to praise God? To be cr- clear, friends, we're not, as pastor said last week even, we're not here to praise the Bible. Oh, No. We praise the God of the Bible. What does God's law tell us about God? What is it that we can learn as we read the law? And to be contextual, we understand also that the psalmist here, when he talks about the law, he's not talking about the law as we know it today. He's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And Pastor again last week taught us that there's a connection, clear connection between the Torah, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Bible that we have today. So, as I look back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, hoping to get a little bit more of an understanding of what was it about God's law that the psalmist was so excited about that caused him to praise God, I came across an interesting passage. Moses tries to describe the scene after God has given him the Ten Commandments. And in chapter four, verses 10 through 14, we read, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that he may let them hear my word, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and they may teach their children as well. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire in the heart of heaven wrapped in darkness, clouds, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you all out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going to possess. What does this passage here tell us about God? What does it reveal to us about our father? Well, I think it tells us a few things. First off, it tells us that he's intentional, and that he provides a life of us, for us, that's free of shame. It tells us that God teaches us how to live. It tells us that he cares about how we teach our children. It tells us that he is holy, he's set apart. He's not like anything else. It tells us that he is sovereign. He's not random or without cause, but God has purpose to everything that matters. God has purpose to everything that that matters. Everything that happens, God has a cause to. And this here should give you cause to praise God. Every time you open the book, you should praise God. As you read his words and his statutes, in your spirit, you should shout hallelujah because he is a good God that cares for you, that would not leave you here without instruction, that wouldn't leave you without wisdom. He cares for you deeply and he's given you something to give hope to you even in your darkest days. In February 2003, after a long and rebellious life of 19 years, the Lord said, look, son, I need you to get it together. And he sat me down on my butt and he said, it's either now or never. And I surrendered to the Lord and I gave him my all. And I told my granny, my granny was, she's probably the the closest thing to Jesus I got on this earth. And she's 93 years old. And granny, if you're watching, I love you. I love you. My granny loved me. But I went and I told her I was proud. Granny, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And she gave me two sets of instructions. She said, first boy, you need to go get baptized. I said, okay, granny. (laughs) I'll go get baptized. And the 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 second thing she did was gave me this Bible right here. This old King James Version Bible. And I've had it now for, I guess, 18 or 19 years. If my granny was to see me put this Bible here on my head and expect the things that are written in it just kind of seep through my brain, would she not look at me and say, boy, what in the world is wrong with you? What are you thinking? You got to open this thing up and read it. Because within it are the words of life. Within it are the words of wisdom. Within it are the path to salvation. It's not the Bible that we praise, friends. In Joshua verse, chapter 1 verse 8, he writes that the book of the law, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then, for then, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's word reveals to us the character of God. It contains wisdom. God's given it to us, friends, for us to as Paul writes so eloquently in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let teaching and admonishing be done with us to one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We must read God's word day and night. There are apps, guides, email subscriptions, audio Bibles, there's probably a thousand different ways now we can get God's word in our lives. We have no excuse, friend. If you find yourself struggling to read God's word, not sure where to start, don't have time for it, I would suggest to you that you have a problem of priorities in your life. And I think the Lord revealed to us over the last two years that he can switch those priorities. He can cause us to sit and have time to spend in his words. Friend, don't let the Lord bring you to that point. Read his word. Seek him out while he may be sought. We must read God's word. We must draw near to God because when we go to God's word, even though there are tough times and difficult circumstances and pressures from the world that we experience, it gives us. Not only praise, friends, but hope, gives us hope. In verse eight of Psalm 119, the psalmist continues, I will keep your statutes, do not utterly forsake me. I will keep your statutes, do not utterly forsake me. We know that the psalmist isn't afraid that God will forsake him. In Psalms, we see this language all over the place, and we understand by reading other Psalms that God isn't going to forsake the psalmist. The psalmist isn't afraid to be left by God. In Psalm 38, verses 21 and 22, we hear the same language. Do not forsake me, O God. O Lord, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. In Psalm 71, verse 9, we read, Do not cast me off. In the time of old age, forsake me not when my strength is spent. In the same psalm, in the 71st verse, we read, so even, excuse me, in the 18th verse of the 71st psalm, we read, so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. There's a few of us in here that can relate to that, amen? To the great hairs, that is. The Lord still wishes for us, in our old age even, to seek him in his word. What the author's saying in verse eight of Psalms 119 is that he's not afraid of the Lord leaving him, he's afraid of leaving the Lord. He's asking God to keep him in all diligence that he may not stray from the word of God. God's grace in keeping us is the only thing that allows us, friends, to walk this life. Do not think that it's your own strength and energy that you are able to keep the will and the words of God. Oh, if you've tried to do it before, you know that's just not the case. It is only by God's grace that we can keep his word. A few weeks ago, we went to the Together for the Gospel Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a great conference, and John Piper spoke, and Mark Dever interviewed John. Piper. The subject was Piper's 50 years of ministry, and Piper's a big mentor of mine. I've looked up to Piper from the day that I came to the faith. So this is probably for me the most exciting of all the interviews and panelists and so forth. And so as Piper as talking to Mark Dever. Piper says, or excuse me, Dever says to Piper, "What is the secret?" to you keeping yourself faithful in 50 years of ministry. And I want to read to you Piper's response. I quote, plead with God to hold you fast. Almost the most frequent prayer I would pray concerning my ministry is keep me, keep me, keep me believing, keep me in love with my wife, keep me a faithful father, keep me, a faithful shepherd. Keep me in love with your word. Don't drop me, Lord. Hold on to me. Pray this. Pray it like crazy. End quote. Piper knew that after 50 years of walking firmly and faithfully with the Lord, that the only way that he was able to do so was because the Lord had kept him. Friend, What do you rely on today to keep you? What are you relying on today to hold you fast? Where's your dependence? If we read through God's word, we know that man is plagued with sin. If we step outside, we know that this world is plagued with sin. From the creation, God gave us an intent to live with him in fellowship without shame or fear to be in common fellowship with God. And then the fall came and Adam and sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, which caused separation from God. And through that separation, God instituted the law, which he hoped, well he knew better. <laughs> would not bring them back to him because they wouldn't be able to keep the law. But he instituted a series of sacrifices, a system by which blood would try to atone for their sin. And so they had goats and lambs and sheep and so forth that they would try to sacrifice, hoping to remove the stain of sin on their lives, but it never was enough to appease God, which is why they did it over and over. And the Lord knew he had to send a sacrifice for himself. He had to make a way for us because we, friends, could not make a way back to God. Back to the days of Genesis 2:25, we needed a new way. So he sent his son as the spotless and blemish-free lamb to sacrifice himself for our sin and shame. That we, once we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, could run to the Father with confidence and not be afraid and flee in shame and guilt, but to come to our Father. We walk, we persevere, we study, we commit, but even in all of our attempts, we fail, friends, to keep the word of God. Christ has come to give us the example by which we are to follow. He himself came to the earth, lived out the perfect law. He perfected and exonified exemplified, excuse me, the word of God. We have an example in Christ, friends, and we come this morning presenting that same Christ to you. If you've never placed your trust in that Christ, friend, I want to, in that Christ, I would let you know, friend, that your life, according to God's word, not according to Jay or anyone else up here, your life will result and end in shame. There's no other way that we can flee shame unless we place our trust in Christ. This world is in a bad way, and we find hope only in In Christ. So if you've never placed your trust in Christ, we're going to pray here shortly and ask that you would receive Christ as your Savior. If you have found yourself at some point straying away from that which you first believed in, if you find it hard to read God's Word, if it's boring to you, if it's a task for you to open up the Word of God, I would ask you, friend, come to the Lord and acknowledge that before Him. Ask Him to give you excitement, life, joy, vigor, zealous, love, and appreciation and desire, and maybe even an obsession for the word of God. We love God's word at this church. If you find yourself without a church, our first value here is that we believe the Bible is the word of God. Join us Be a part of this team of people who make disciples that make disciples, who teach God's word and live our lives in a way to see as such. Friends, God's word is to be treasured, kept and meditated on. Christ has set the example for us. We must simply lay down our lives and follow him. I would like to leave you with a passage from this old Bible that my granny gave me from Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26 and some of you will know it well. May the, Lord le- May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us hope in the midst of a dark world. We ask, Father God, that you would forgive us of our sins. We place our trust in you, Lord, as Savior. We repent of all of our wrongdoing, Father God, for never surrendering, never yielding to your voice. Now, Lord, we come to you and say, we surrender. Turn us from our sin, and we thank you, Lord, for saving us. We ask that you will give us such a desire and a hope for your word. Help us to be committed to it, Lord. We thank you for the Christ who has come, who gave us the example, who paid the price that we may walk in oneness with you. In Jesus' name, amen.